0: Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello everyone. Welcome back to episode number 46, uh, Parenting and Managing. Um, I want to start with a couple of introductory comments. First of all, if you're looking at the title and thinking that this episode is not going to apply to you, I'm going to encourage you to look at this from a different lens. Um, First of all, if you're in academic medicine, managing absolutely applies to you. Even if you're not someone's direct superior, if you are in academic medicine, there are people that you supervise in some capacity or other. But if your approach to listening to podcasts like this is more along the lines of, I know I can find a way to apply this to my life, well, you're going to get a lot more out of it than if you're kind of looking for reasons why it doesn't apply. So I would encourage you to generally take that sort of approach. And my last sort of introductory comment is, um, I am not a parenting expert. I am in no way qualified to give parenting advice. So when we're talking about parenting here, what we're talking about is your experience of it. And that's another reason why, even if you're not personally a parent, this episode definitely still applies to you. Because it's all about your experience of, of your interactions with other people. Okay, so what we're going to do today is practice putting a few different concepts and skills together and using them as a bundle. We'll start by doing a brief review of the three topics that we're going to be putting together. The first one is your imaginary rulebook. We talked about this in episode 30. This is your internal set of rules that you think are completely obvious that other people should just know to follow without you having to tell them. To use some really obvious examples, a few imaginary rules that lots of people have are things like, you should wash your hands when you're preparing food, and you shouldn't crash your car into someone else's on purpose, and you should say thank you when someone does something nice for you. The problem with the imaginary rulebook is that our rules are not necessarily the same as other people's, and they don't automatically know to follow our rules. So I'm going to go on a small tangent for a moment, but we're going to come back to it later. One of my personal imaginary rules is that everyone should return their shopping cart to the cart corrals at the grocery store. Doing this causes you no more than a minor inconvenience, even if you're shopping with little kids, but failing to do so creates a huge inconvenience for other people and sometimes even danger. Stray carts run into people's cars and they cause damage. You're going to get some background dog noises today because Trixie is not content to just sit quietly and help me record. Today she's bustling about. Anyway, stray carts, they run into people's cars and they can cause damage. They make parking difficult. But the most important thing in my mind is they make a job harder for some poor store employee who's probably making minimum wage and who has to go out in all kinds of weather. Their job would be so much easier if the carts were just all in the corrals where they belong. There's this grocery store in Florida that we go to every year when we arrive for vacation. And at that store, putting your cart away is not at all the norm. I always feel like I'm the only person in the whole parking lot who's doing it. And to be clear, most of the people who are at this grocery store at the same time I am at the store are tourists. They're not the locals. But it doesn't matter who's doing it. It just it drives me crazy people just leave their cart wherever. So the parking lot is always complete chaos. And then these poor store employees are out in the ridiculous heat and humidity way longer than they need to be trying to gather up all these stray carts. So every year it drives me completely crazy. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Okay, our second concept to review is boundaries. We covered boundaries in episode 31. A boundary is something you set up as a method of protecting yourself when someone breaks one of your rules. It can be an imaginary rule or it can be one that's explicit. Remember, one of the keys to a boundary is that it is 100% about what you will do when the rule is broken. A boundary is not telling someone they can't do something or they have to do something. And the reason it can't be that way is we don't get to control other people. We might really, really want to sometimes, but we can't. The more specific a boundary is, both in defining the violation and outlining your resulting actions, the easier it will be for you to recognize and act on the violation. The other key part of an effective boundary is that your part, the what you will do or think or feel part, needs to be something that feels true and important to your personal values. You don't need to like it, but you have to feel good about it. So here's an example of something that's not a boundary. You can't talk to me like that. First of all, yes, they can. People can do whatever they want, and you can't stop them. Second of all, what does talk to me like that even mean? Who decides when something that someone said falls under the talk to me like that category? And last, what's the incentive for them to not talk to you like that? What happens if they do? So yeah, you can't talk to me like that is just nowhere near the definition of a boundary. A few episodes ago, I gave an example of one time... Years ago, when I was post call and dead tired and didn't have childcare. So I was taking the kids to the movies and they were just torturing each other in the back seat. And I said, if you do that one more time, we're going to turn the car around and not go to the movies. So, of course, the instigating kid did the thing one more time and I turned the car around and we didn't go to the movies. That was mostly a good boundary. It was clear what the violation was, it was clear what my actions would be. It was definitely focused on what I can control. So if I had said, you can't hit your sibling again, that would not have worked. And it was relatively easy for me to enforce it because I definitely liked my reasons for the consequence. I didn't actually like the consequence because in the moment it punished me as well as punishing them. But I liked the general parenting principles I was following, like making it clear that you don't get special treats when you're acting like hooligans and that mom is reliable. If she says she's going to do something, she will. Speaking of reliability, I don't think that's something that we've talked about in previous episodes. And this is a really good word for academic physicians to understand. Being reliable does not mean that you will do things for people when they ask you to. It doesn't mean, oh, if I want something done, I can rely on so-and-so to do it for me. Not at all. Being reliable means that you can be counted on to be true to your word. This was a pretty big aha moment for me earlier in my career. When I first became a peer reviewer for one of our journals, one of my mentors told me that that particular journal loved her as a reviewer because she often told them right away that she couldn't do it. Sounded a little bit counterintuitive to me, but she explained that what the editorial board really wants is to get the article reviewed in a timely manner, which that part made sense. But she also explained that if the initial round of reviewers can't do it on time, but they say so right away, then the editorial board just sends it out to the next round, and they can still get their manuscript reviewed quickly. And then over time, they will also learn that if you say yes to a manuscript review, they know you're going to do it and you're going to do it on time because if you can't, you're just going to say no. That was really a, a big light bulb moment for me because if she hadn't told me that, I definitely would have assumed that the most desirable quality in a reviewer would be saying yes as much as possible. And I'm sure that is a highly desirable quality, but it's nowhere near as desirable as being reliable. Okay. And principle number three for today is owning your emotions. This is such a crucial concept that we covered this one way back in the beginning. It was in episode 9. It means understanding that whatever you're feeling is always created by what you're thinking. Period. No one makes you feel anything. You create it all yourself. I'm sure you all get the concept by now, but don't worry if you need to remind yourself, even if you have to remind yourself often. It's totally normal. So this is where my shopping cart example comes back. So when I'm at the store, my automatic thought about it is, those people are selfish jerks, which makes me feel angry and, let's face it, self-righteous. Those are not lovely feelings to have. It doesn't mean that I need to or want to change my thinking. I could if I wanted to, but I don't really want to. I kind of think they're selfish jerks. But... If I'm going to be an emotional adult about it and own up to the fact that I'm creating this, it means a lot of reminding myself when I'm seething about it, you're creating this feeling and you could change it if you want to. It's not the people who are leaving their carts out. It's not the cart. The entire thing that drives the feeling is me thinking they're selfish jerks. That's it. The reason this is so, so important is that if you give away the responsibility for your emotions, you also give away the power. If you believe your feelings are created by other people, then you're totally at the mercy of other people, you have no control over your experience of life, and you can never be happy unless other people, whom you can't control, act in a certain way. That's a miserable way to exist. I would much rather accept the fact that I'm making myself feel angry and I'm choosing to do so rather than feel completely helpless about the situation. It's okay to be angry sometimes. It's part of life. It's not normal to be totally zen all the time. All right, so now's the part where we put them all together. So if you're in any sort of managerial capacity, it's normal that in addition to the clearly written job descriptions of people who report to you, you also hold some imaginary rules in your mind for them. You'll know that it was an imaginary rule when it's broken and you're the only person who's surprised by it. When you come across that situation and you realize that it was one of your own imaginary rules and not actually part of the job description, you have the opportunity to assess whether it is A, all that important, and B, something within your authority to enforce. If it is both of those things, now it's time to take it out of the imaginary and put it into everyone's fund of knowledge. No more secret rule that someone's being held responsible for and you didn't even give them the opportunity to know it was important because you thought that they should just know. Clearly, they didn't. And if it isn't both all that important and within your authority to enforce, perhaps it's time to either let it go or shifted up a pay grade. Next comes the boundary, what you will do if the rule is violated. Now that we know all of the rules of engagement are available to everyone participating. And last comes the emotional responsibility, the part where you acknowledge that however you feel about what happens, it's because of how you're thinking about it. Here's a workplace example of mine. As division director, I make the call schedule, which is actually four call schedules that are all contingent on each other, and it's quite a complicated bit of origami making it all work. That being said, I've created an algorithm for doing this that I'm pretty sure rivals any scheduling software. I have a very love-hate relationship with call schedule time. On the one hand, it's a pain in the butt, and it's a lot of time. But on the other hand, it's a complicated puzzle, and I really do like puzzles. I definitely get some satisfaction every time it's done. I know it can't be perfect, but I also know that I'm gonna make it as good as I possibly can. I do this three months at a time, so this comes up four times a year. There's a very solid system of reminders in place, so everyone's really clear on the deadline for turning in call requests. Most quarters, there are at least a couple people who missed the deadline. When that happens, I could go ahead and make the schedule without those people's requests, but I don't. It used to make me frustrated, but it doesn't anymore. So when I looked at this, my first step, the rule, that part's good, everyone knows the rule. The second step, the boundary, eh, pretty murky. So they knew on paper I could make the schedule without their requests, and they also knew I was probably never going to do that. Not a lot of reliability there. Which brings us to the third step, taking responsibility for my emotions. Once I realized that my frustration was actually related to my own unwillingness to enforce the boundary, I realized it was because it was a bad boundary. It's clear, it's in my control, but it's not something I feel good about. I was never going to be able to reliably enforce it because, as it turned out, it violates a little bit of my moral code. The part where I understand that humans are humans, and sometimes things come up, and sometimes people forget to respond to emails, and it's not the end of the world. And my god, life is hard enough everywhere else. This one tiny thing does not need to be hard, too so I decided to drop the boundary. It's not that important. It doesn't mean I wouldn't prefer to get started on time every quarter, and it doesn't mean that I don't love it when there's a quarter that no one needs an extra reminder. But I've completely dropped the part where I get frustrated. And if I do happen to get frustrated momentarily, it really does not take me long now to remind myself that I have a choice here, and I've picked my path, and so I'm just gonna feel good about it. When we look at how this translates to parenting, it's similar but not exactly the same. On the one hand, kids are a lot more likely to break rules over and over, especially when they're at one of those stages where they're gaining independence or testing boundaries. On the other hand, we inherently love them, and this might confuse us into both having higher expectations of them and simultaneously giving them extra chances or leeway, which makes us unreliable parents, which makes the rule breaking more likely, and on and on. But if you get the sequence right, rule, boundary, emotional responsibility, then you can just let it play out without the surprise or drama on your end. So for example, you tell your kid, Your room needs to be clean Friday afternoon by 5 o'clock if they want to hang out with their friends that night. Then Friday at 5.30, the room isn't clean. And let's assume here, for the sake of argument, that you have very clearly established what defines a clean room and what actually needs to have happened. So then it's really easy. They don't hang out with friends. You don't have to have a tantrum about it. You don't have to be shocked that it happened. All you have to do is love your kid and enforce the rule. You can be disappointed. You can even be sad for them because they might be missing something really good and that might really suck for them. You could sympathize with them and, you know, think, man, I really wish you would have cleaned your room. But doesn't it feel so much better on your end without your own drama? If you're enforcing the rule, the consequence for your kid is going to be the same either way. They don't get to hang out with their friends. But your consequence is drastically different. And again, I'm not a parenting expert, so I'm not trying to tell you that this is the best way to parent your kids. What I'm telling you is that your experience of it is a lot less uncomfortable when you approach it this way. Now, are you going to get it right every time? Of course not, unless you're some sort of super parent, which I'm definitely not. But at least we can have a target to aim for. All right, we covered a lot today, so I think that's enough. Thanks, as always, for joining me, and I will see you back next time. opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.